Seven years, nobody advertised but me. And by the time they all started advertising, it was too late. I had the market. So many firm owners, they talk about moving from like needed to necessary to, to optional in, in terms of running your practice. What I strive to be is the kindest person in the room. Not the weakest, the kindest. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the no excuses, no BS legal marketing agency that works harder than the competition. Each week you get insights and wisdom from some of the best in the industry. Before we get started, hit that follow button so that you never miss an episode. All right, let's get it. Rex Paris made waves by diving headfirst into blue oceans of opportunity many deem too risky. With relentless persistence over 30 years, Rex saturated the Antelope Valley. Today, a staggering 97% of individuals recognize his name. Becoming a household brand doesn't happen overnight. It takes years of calculated gambles and consistently delivering results. Rex understood he couldn't go it alone. By building a powerful team anchored by his wife, Carol's steady operation leadership, Rex created a foundation of complete trust. This freed him up to perfect his craft and become one of the nation's most innovative trial attorneys. Blending neuro-linguistic programming, humanity, and cutting-edge technology, Rex has secured billions of dollars for injured clients. His pioneering spirit constantly pushes him to refine his skills and build creative new bridges with jurors. Today, Rex shares priceless insights on stepping into those uncontested markets, how brand recognition compounds when given time and consistency, and why surrounding yourself with people you fully trust empowers you to reach new heights. Here's Rex Paris, partner at Paris Law Firm. When I was 18, I uh, had accumulated about 10 tickets and they uh, sentenced me to jail, actually. It was absolutely mind-numbing terror standing in front of that judge. Wow. I was able to keep from going to some alternative sentencing. I guess that's what I decided then that, you know, that's where the power was. That's where I wanted to be. <laughs> that's so intriguing. What was it? Uh, did you like going fast? Was it parking tickets? You know, I was just a smart ass kid and I did like to go fast. And quite frankly, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Your son is involved in the in the firm and two of them. Two of them. So what's it like having family follow in your footsteps? What's what's some of the dynamics of working with family? Most of it's positive. I can't tell you the joy I get when I'm in a trial and, you know, there's a break and I see them walking down the hallway. Uh, it's just, it's indescribable, the feeling you get. You know, when they do something really spectacular in the trial, you know, and they take an expert down or do a great closing or something like that. You know, I highly recommend it. I, mean, it uh, I have three children that are lawyers and one who uh, is in the State Department. But I wish all four of them were in the firm. And so does that make you think differently of balancing family and professional life? Well, you know, that's something we just never did. I mean, my wife and I, I can't think of a day or a night or an hour that we haven't had some reference to the firm. The two of us started it from nothing and, and had no money, you know. And I mean, I'd, I'd bring in a case and I didn't have the money to do the filing fee. And the kids grew up in it. You know, it, it was constantly, we recognized that the most important thing was the office because the office fed us. And, uh, you know, so they grew up in it. Talk to me about the business development side. We know attribution for, say, branding can be murky. And of course, with your reputation now, the game's changed. So, you know, in terms of referrals and being co-counsel, but 
so many attorneys that are listening are, are struggling to, to get cases. So what's your approach to business development and, and the marketing side? Well, it was, it was a different time back then. You know, I, I came back to the town I was born in, which is Lancaster. You know, I'd worked for an insurance defense firm for about five years. And every, every time I took a plaintiff's deposition, I'd always ask, how'd you find your lawyer? <laughs> you know, doing market research. But it was before everybody was really advertising so much. You know, when I started, we come back to Lancaster and we sent out in what was called the Desert Mailer. It was a throwaway newspaper. You know, every Wednesday it came out, you know, mostly just ads. And I had a little announcement that, you know, we were opening a personal entry firm. It wasn't too long after that, I mean, days, that I ran into the partner of the largest firm up here at the time and uh, in a parking lot. And I was with my wife and kids. We were going in to eat to this restaurant. And he said, you know, Rex, the lawyers here have an unwritten understanding that none of us advertise. And if you keep doing that, you're not going to have very many friends. To which I replied, I didn't come back to town to make friends with lawyers. <laughs> right. <laughs> he never talked to me again. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's such a, such a different time. What was that around 78? Well, they gave me seven years. Seven years, nobody advertised but me. And by the time they all started advertising, it was too late. I had the market. So secured the market. And was that a mix of traditional radio? Back then, it was mostly radio. Then we went to billboards. And, uh, you know, we really debated going to billboards, but it was the smartest move we made. And, and uh, like I said, for seven years, they just let me have the marketplace. It was unreal. Quite interesting. Yeah. I now, the difference was is... You know, most guys who, who did billboards and all of that, they don't actually try the cases. They farm them out if they can't settle them. But we didn't do that. We, tr we tried our own cases. And uh, up here, I have like a 97% name identification. But that comes from 30 years of in millions and millions of dollars in, in you know, advertising to, to develop that brand. Yeah, and t tell me about that because that's something that most people don't talk about. So is that from focus groups? You do like aided and unaided recall. How did, how did you come up with the percentage like that? Oh, that was from uh, polling, you know, because I'm also the mayor of Lancaster, so I do polling. Right. And the first time I ran, we were shocked. I had better name ID than, than anyone, anyone. But it was 20 years at that point. And it's a different environment when I try cases up here. You know, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of research on celebrity and the effect it has on people's decision making. It's not a bad thing to have. <laughs> I I thousand percent agree. And trust, trust being that that psychological element and authority. And I'd kind of like to hear your opinion on this. Is you know you got these typically I see like the the pre lit settlement mill quote unquote settlement mill. I know it's a little derogatory because there's there are some good pre lit firms, and then you got the litigating firm who's getting maximum value, and you have so many incredible results, right? Seven, eight, nine figure results, and does that change your approach to marketing? Because a lot of times when I, I see the, the litigating attorneys, they, they're not, they don't have to worry about volume, right? They can, they can take the top 5% and they can get maximum value. So does that change your approach or is it still you need the attention to, to originate those yourself and, and maybe you don't want to give away the, you know, that referral percentage? So how do, you, how do you think about that dynamic? We constantly are talking about, do we really want to take referrals? Because you got to, for, for us to try a case, it's going to cost anywhere from a half a million to $2 million. You know, that, that's what they cost. 
by the time you do all the experts, all the focus groups, all the, the models you got to build, you know, to do all that stuff. And to split the fee, it, it's sometimes difficult for us. So we're, we're very, we say no a lot more than we say yes. But then every now and then, you know, I start believe, believing my own press and thinking I can beat anything, you know. <laughs> and I go in and I get my ass kicked. But <laughs> you still need a case. You still need the facts, you know. You are at the, the cutting edge in terms of science and persuasion. I think that's probably accurate, yeah. Give me the, the kind of the top level on this idea of science and persuasion? Well, you know, it, it started out as just a recognition that I had terrible social skills. I, I tend to be reclusive, even to this day. My personality is such is that I, I can come out and do it. I can do the dance. I can do the socializing. I can, you know, I'm the mayor of a city, for heaven's sakes. You know, I, I can do it, but it's exhausting to me. COVID, I was in, COVID was heaven for me. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to see anybody. <laughs> The, uh, it was because of that uh, inability to, you know, understand the world around me, I guess, that when I realized there was a lot of science to this, I just dove in uh, and still dive in every morning. I, I can't wait to read it, can't wait to understand it more. And when I, I read The Illusion of Free Will years and years ago, and then it started all making sense to me, you know, that, that we really don't have free will. It really is a... Uh, just a chaotic uh, cause and effect storm that goes on in our, 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 our head. And if I can affect, and you know, and it, and it required that I even read some, re, try to understand what chaos was, you know, chaos theory, theory of chaos, to understand just what we're able to do is we're able to push it towards a direction that would be beneficial. You know, there's still a lot of uh, variables that we can't control, but the more we can influence, the more likely we are to hit. You know, so much is the word selection we use. Most of what, you know, I, I do in a courtroom is very different from what other people do, you know, because it's all based around the persuasive science or the science of persuasion. It is a chaotic environment. So there's just a lot of things happening. You know, it's a dancing landscape is what we call it. And in, in complexity, with complexity theory, it'd be a dancing landscape. But it's more chaotic than that. You know, learning individual skills, you can push it. You can move it into the direction you want it to go. Like, uh, you know, just focus grouping. Now you can focus group on the Internet and get incredible results, incredible data back. But just by changing the words sometimes, just a few words, will have a dramatic impact on the verdict. Could you give me an example on that? Yeah, years ago, we tried a case. It was a bad crash. No question about that. She had had a pretty good recovery. It was against the county of Los Angeles, so you never know how that's going to go with a jury. Her family were, were affluent. You know, they, they owned about 15 McDonald's, doing quite well. There was no way we were going to keep that affluence out. And so we did a lot of work on what do we use instead of affluent? Because we, I couldn't get the focus group over 8 million bucks. That's the highest I could get after several focus groups. As soon as we changed it to hardworking family, the verdict was 15. Just those little word changes. Chronic pain cases. You, you want to triple your chronic pain cases? Call it chronic pain syndrome because that's what it is. A syndrome is a constellation of, of symptoms. 
you can't have chronic pain without a constellation of symptoms. <laughs> but just by changing it to just making sure your experts use the word chronic pain syndrome has a huge effect on the verdict. We do a lot of testing for that, you know, a lot of, a lot of work on that. Put it in the, you know, we do what's called horizontal segmentation. Depending on what jury we end up with, we know which words to use or which words to stress. There's just a lot of science that goes into it. Take me down this path further. If someone was going to dive into this, where do they go to learn more about this? What resources? Um, it, it, this isn't the Carnegie path, is it? Is it a, a different direction? Yeah, it, it is. You know, the the thing with just word selection, those the uh, impact of the words change over time. So you got to keep, you know, you got to keep polling. You got to keep uh, doing stuff on the internet, you know, to find out which words are resonating, which age group, which demographic. Although demographics are usually not the best way to to predict outcomes, but you have to know what you're doing, you know. There, but there's a lot of when I first started, there was very little, very little, you know. It was neuro linguistic programming was about it, and that is about sixty to seventy percent valid. Neurolinguistic Programming, or NLP, is a way of guiding thoughts and behaviors to get a desired outcome. In short, harnessing NLP can make you better at influencing others. Rex is on the cutting edge of using NLP in the courtroom. If I mirror your body posture, you know, that's a sign of affiliation and uh, an alignment. And it, it pulls you in, in my direction if I do it. You know, what I'm really looking for is who's the leader in the jury by who adopts a body position, then others follow it. You know, that that goes a long ways. The, uh, you know, you start out with the assumption that most of your persuasive skills are visual, not auditory. But auditory is essential. When to drop your voice, when to raise your voice, you know, that range of voice is incredibly important. When to sit down, you know, if, it, if it's really serious and you sit down, that's a signal that it's serious. The, there's, just a lot of those different gestures you make that NLP, I think, started at Neuro Linguistic Programming, started with Grinder and uh, Bandler. And uh, I spent a lot of time in, in seminars for NLP. And I, like I said, 60 to 70 percent of it's valid. Uh, just gestures, you know, gestures of affiliation. Incredibly powerful if you use them correctly and you don't overuse them. You know, how to bond with people is really a six-step process. It's, it's not magical, you know. I got to smile. You know, I got I to make eye contact, then I got to smile. You know, I like to go into a bar and watch people hook up because I can predict it. I can predict who's going to leave together because it's the look, it's the look back, it's the touch. You don't get the touch, you're not going home. <laughs> it, uh, we're We're... We're not that complicated of, of animals in many respects. This technology complement this because I've had some some great trial attorneys and some use limited tech. Some are very utilize a ton of technology. What's what's your emphasis on tech in the in the courtroom? We use a lot of it. The last four or five trials, we don't put up any medical records. You know, we, what we do is we put up pictures, put up uh, you know. You know, the different companies that do your illustrations for you of the surgeries, every procedure, what procedures they expect them to have in the future. It's all graphic. Some of it's hard copies on foam boards. Some of it is PowerPoints, but it's all graphic. And we just stumbled into that. One time we had a trial and somehow we forgot to reference any medical records. 
<laughs> and because we had such great exhibits, we did, it wasn't by design, but the verdict was much greater than we had hoped for. And we realized that, yeah, it's just the science, you know. There's Brain Rules, which is a great book that kind of puts it into bite-sized chunks. Whenever uh, a new book that has good references, you know, from cognitive scientists, I, I study it. And I try to figure out a way, how do I make this applicable to a courtroom? And, uh, you know, so far, it's been working out quite well. <laughs> Let's turn this over. So it's, it's obviously a very effective in, in the courtroom. Did it impact your messaging when you started to learn more? Did you see the messaging that you're putting out on TV or billboards and you're like, hey, we need to make modifications here? Did, did that kind of transfer over to the, the messaging? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's pretty basic. Most of our uh, advertising, our billboards and, uh, and social media, you, if you're going to do a picture of people, you want three people and you want them smiling. You know, you don't want them looking like mean lawyers. <laughs> you, what we're, we're attempting to do is we're attempting to break down the fear people have of coming into a new lawyer's office. I mean, think about it. It's really quite thre threatening. And especially when you got people, you know, pursuing your case, you know, who do you choose? So, yeah, we, we always put it into the messaging. You know, right now, what, what has occurred, at least in the Antelope Valley where I live, it, there's us and then there's everybody else. <laughs> Switching over to kind of a, a fun topic here, and, and you mentioned I was going to kind of lean into it being the mayor of Lancaster. What led you down that path? Was it, hey, they're not fixing my city. I'm going to get involved and actually, you know, I'm going to take action. You said previously that you had some of these introvert type of tendencies and you're like, ah, I'm going to go be the mayor. So what led you down this path? And, and tell me about that. You know, the local politics had always pretty much been a hobby. I wasn't getting anything out of it. You know, my my friends were, you know, they, one was a developer, another one was the city manager and you know, another one was the state senator, you know, went up to be a state senator. But I was just along for the ride. And then our practice took off pretty early. And uh, so I was able to write checks. You know, at one point I had told my wife, you know, I'd like to be mayor someday. And she said, uh, not until the kids are gone. You know, not until the kids go away to school. So when Kale was the last one, went off to college, I ran for mayor. And she was livid. I didn't talk to her about it. And I go, what do you mean? We did talk about it. 20 years ago, you said. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> she wasn't very appreciative of that. But, you know, that, that she also gets that's how I think. I mean, you know, I, I, she's used to it. You know? mm -hmm. But there was a lot of reasons. One is we had had a lot of, we had poured a lot of resources into the city and we didn't like the person that was going to take it over if I didn't run. And the assumption was that I was probably the only one who could beat him because of the name ID. The other part is I wanted to practice all of these skills I was learning because it's the same skill set, except you don't get to poll the jury. You know, you can, you can poll the populace. And uh, Intriguing. Also, you know, it, it's, a lot of it is I'll walk into a, a room where it's very negative and then have to turn them. I'm getting pretty good at it. But if I didn't have the experience of being mayor, I don't think I would be very good at it, you know? So many firm owners, they talk about moving from like needed to necessary to, you know, to, to optional in terms of running your practice. So is it now you've got the team behind you, you, you have your, your trusted team that you can delegate and then you can 
manage your time a bit more, a bit better as well. Talk to me about that in terms of, you know, managing your time because you, you're being pulled in so many directions. Well, you know, I was always blessed with an incredibly smart wife. I mean, she is wickedly smart and uh, she runs the back office and always has. You know, she, she runs the money. I don't even know the bank we use and, and nor do I want to know. She, she gave me the ability to get up at four o'clock and study every morning and just had the faith that eventually this would pay off. And, you know, and it did. It, it, you know, it, it's shocking to us, the verdicts we get. But the success is that, one, we have absolute trust. And, you know, now that my, my sons are in it, it it's, it's, there's a core group of people we trust completely, you know? Like when we're, we're in trial, we usually go in with a four or five person team. But everyone on that team is trusted absolutely. We, they, they've gone through the, the vetting process that we know whatever they're doing, they're doing for the same goal that we have. They're not doing it to show off. They're not doing it because they, they got their feelings hurt because of something I just said or didn't say. And, you know, there, there's a lot of emotions that are going on in a trial. And so you need that. And I, they're also pretty well trained. Like, you know, all of them are trained on facial expression, recognition, micro expressions, how to recognize them. They're, they're able to tell me if I got a juror that's turning away from us. You know, like one of the things we did, we, we were working with a company that uh, the computer reads the facial expressions. And you can do a group of 500 people. Yeah, it, it's, in fact, the more people you're, you're doing it with, the more you're able to filter out the noise, you know. And we've done that. We were doing that for jury focus groups until we got to the point that we pretty know what it is now. You know, it has more to do with the choreography of the case when you present certain issues, when you don't present them. And But then, I, like I said, it's chaotic. So, like, if it was just the jury, I want to tell them as soon as possible that I'm asking for a billion dollars. You know, what I've learned is you can't do that because the judge will come after you. These judges, they go to judges school and they're told that if you have a nuclear verdict, it's because you didn't control your courtroom. Uh, it's, it's insane, but that, hmm. that's, the, that's the environment we're having to deal with. But what we have found is the timing is far more important than the, the number itself. I imagine, too, that uh, you would not be the person that I would want to play a game of uh, Texas Hold'em or poker with. My boys like to play, and so I started playing with them. And uh, it's not hard. Mostly what will happen is you leak through your feet. Your feet I, look at, I watch your feet and your hands. Wow. Yeah. Anybody who plays poker very much at all is able to control their facial expressions. Right. You know, <laughs> but it always leaks. You know? You mentioned that all of my team is trained in facial expressions in these different aspects. Is that all internal where you're leading or it's like... Uh, no, no, yeah. you just go, you just type in Ekman, Paul Ekman, right? He's got a training course. There's another guy that Human Tell is another training course. They're, they're on their subscription services and anybody can do it. You spend 20 minutes a day, every morning, 20 minutes a day, three months from now, you're going to be, you're going to amaze yourself how well you can spot it. When I first learned it, I didn't realize it's the number of signs of contempt. It's the number of signs of anger. You know, it's not one. You know, I would get all upset when my wife's nose would crinkle up. You know, <laughs> it's it, it's much more dynamic than that. You know, but like I said, now you you can do focus groups with it. it, it I think it's Emotion Track is is a company we're using, where they you know they just 
you just tell the story and it's over the internet and the computer reads their facial expressions. And what, what I've discovered is in the closing, I want them happy. I want them joyful. You know, I want to show them, get, paint a picture of hope. And they're the hero, you know, in order for that hope to come to fruition, it's up to the jury. What I don't want to do is ever be the uh, causative factor for anger or, uh, or uh, sadness. Some witnesses can do that, but it can't be me. You know, people don't like to be sad. They don't like to be angry. You know, so what they'll do is they'll turn to the other side if you're the one they're mirroring, because they will mirror you. <laughs> you know? I'm, uh, you know, I, I've changed a lot as to how I want to appear in front of a jury. What I strive to be is the kindest person in the room, not the weakest, the kindest. And uh, it's not that hard. But if if I am, the only thing I worry about is a remediator. You know, that, that's a natural rapport building element when you see someone being kind to someone else and they're like, oh, you know, I would like to be treated like that as well in that same scenario, even if it's pulling out someone's chair for them to sit down. Yes. Yes. And, you know, what'll, what'll happen is sometimes there'll be a tech technological failure or, you know, something will happen. It always happens. And what you can't do is have that flash of anger because now you've betrayed them. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen cases lost that way. Another thing I've learned in a recent trial that I lost, every graphic you use, whether it be a picture, a video, make sure you see it in the medium that the jury's going to see. Rex, this has been incredible. And, and I could pick your brain for a long time about going deep into this because I'm an avid. Uh, my, my biggest passion is learning, which is why I enjoy the podcast so much. Um, you know, one final question for, for the attorneys listening, for the audience listening, where can people go to connect with you or to learn more? You know, they just send me an email. I'd be happy to answer any questions, give them a reading list, whatever they want. But it's R-R-E-X, R-R-E-X, at Paris, P-A-R-R-I-S dot com. Uh, and then it'll go right to me. And uh, Brittany will probably respond with whatever you, whatever you want. Thanks so much to Rex for sharing his wisdom today. Let's hit the takeaways. Time for the pinpoints. Don't hesitate. Blazing a trail in an unknown carries risks, but those who have the courage to leap will see some major rewards. Where others hesitate, have faith in the potential that you see and charge ahead. We really debated going to billboards, but it was the smartest move we made. Seven years, nobody advertised but me. And by the time they all started advertising, it was too late. I had the market. Stay the course. Constantly investing in marketing pays dividends in the form of brand recognition. Compounded over time, the firm takes on a level of celebrity until it's a household name. Rex put in millions of dollars over 30 years and now has a 97% name ID rate. I'm also the mayor of Lancaster, so I do polling. And the first time I ran, we were shocked. I had better name ID than, than anyone. A lot of research on celebrity and the effect it has on people's decision-making. It's not a bad thing to have. <laughs> Build a rock-solid foundation. To reach your full potential, surround yourself with people you can trust. Rex leverages trust in a small team to focus on honing his strengths as an industry-leading trial lawyer rather than getting bogged down in the details of running a firm. I was always blessed with an incredibly smart wife. She runs the back office, and I don't even know the bank we use, and, and nor do I want to know. She she gave me the ability to get up at four o'clock and study every morning. We have absolute trust, and you know now that my my sons are in it, there's a core group of people we trust completely. For more information about Rex, check out the show notes. While you're there, hit that follow button so that you never miss an episode of Personal Injury Mastermind with me, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. 
All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. See you next time. I'm out.